2: Welcome, everyone, to episode 54 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I am your host, Jack Rico, and this is Bedroom Floor from Liam Payne. You've heard of that name before because he's one of the ex-members of One Direction. And I was in my car the other day, and this song came on on my Spotify playlist, and I was like, wait, who is this? And I was like, oh, Sweat, it's one of the guys from One Direction. Wow, look at that. Actually, these guys are doing really good music. Um... They all laughed, and they all decided to have solo careers. I mean, like, all of them, all five of them. And the fact that all of them have had, like, hit singles, and some of them have even had hit albums is pretty impressive. For a band that got criticized for not being able to dance or do great concerts, uh, these guys have overachieved probably more than any other boy band outside of, you know, the Jackson 5, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But you can even argue them, because a lot of those members from Jackson 5, when they left, they did not have hit careers necessarily. Uh, And they were very short-lived, too. So, uh, good for these guys. Good for Liam and everybody else who's uh, doing some really good music. Anyways, I wanted to talk to you about this week's episode. I got two guests that I know you guys are going to like. We're tackling two topics. The first one is about rape on film. There's a new movie called Light of the Moon where Stephanie Beatrice, who is a Hispanic actress who is the star of that show, she's also the star of Fox's Brooklyn Nine-Nine, she has this new movie out where she plays the victim of sexual assault. So her and I get down to the nitty-gritty of her thoughts of what filming these rape scenes in movies are like. Also, wanted to get her take on Hollywood's sexual assault culture. You're going to really enjoy her answer. She's a very smart woman, and uh, I'm glad that she got to share her insights with us. Also, we discuss in depth the Eduardo Yanez and Paco Fuentes debacle. I'm not sure if you guys know what went on. A Latin TV actor was at a red carpet not too long ago, slapped a reporter in the face for asking about his son. Uh, and that slap went viral to a lot of places. And so I thought, you know what? Why don't we talk about red carpet reporting? And that's when I said, well... There's nobody better to talk to than Arthur Cade, who to me is the preeminent red carpet reporter in Hollywood right now. He hops on the show to discuss his perspective on the culture of covering and reporting and interviewing uh, on the red carpet with all these celebrities, how to conduct a proper interview without crossing the line, uh, especially when a lot of the celebrities sometimes become the news headline, and then... We talk about that awkward Jim Carrey moment on the red carpet as well that everyone is still talking about. Did the reporter from E actually handle that right? Him and I get into it.
3: So a lot to talk about. Keep your headphones on, guys. This is the <laughs>
2: Stephanie Beatrice, best known as Detective Rosa Diaz in the Golden Globe-winning comedy Brooklyn Nine-Nine, is starring in a new independent film called Light of the Moon, where she plays a Latina architect who was the victim of rape and who subsequently struggles to regain intimacy and control in her life.
3: Where was your boyfriend at the time of the attack?
2: How much did you have to drink?
3: Listen, these guys, they prey on drunk girls.
2: Stephanie, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Playing a rape victim is arguably one of the most difficult roles that an actor can inhabit. Why did you want to take on this role?
1: I mean, I sadly have a very, very dear friend who is a sexual assault victim slash survivor. She she um is actually an incest survivor and I've watched her like through the last, I don't know, five, six years that I've known her. Um Kind of come to terms with what happened to her and come to a place of like i don't know i guess it was like a reckoning that happened because like mm-hmm. this thing happened and she knew it was the truth but then she sort of had to let it kind of let it be the truth for her and her whole life you know like let it control let her or look at her life yeah it's just like let herself, like, look at her life and kind of go, like, right, this has affected me and is affecting me in all these different ways. And, like, you know, just watching her sort of deal with that and, and her grace and her humor and, like, you know, how hard it was for her to come to that sort of place in her life, it was, it was really awe inspiring and difficult. And then I read, you know, I read Jesse's script. And I thought of her a lot. I thought of this friend of mine a lot. And I just thought, like, ah, it's like people just have no idea how intense it is to live with that truth and, you know, and still not let it ultimately define who you are as a human being. Right. Right? And I really saw reflections of that friend in Jess's script. And then I thought, like, uh, I I to... I should maybe do this. <laughs> I should maybe do it. Also, it's terrifying to sort of kind of put yourself in a position to portray something that you yourself have never lived through. Um, well, that's I what knew. I was just
2: about to ask you. As an actress, how how did you prepare for something so traumatic, like what your character went through?
1: I mean, what's weird is like I didn't do, I, I wouldn't say that I did like a ton of um, research specifically during or before filming. I did some. But I also I was of the mind, and this is just for me and my performance, right? Like this is just the way that I wanted to work on this story. Was like I wanted to go into it kind of fresh and not knowing about it, because that's how Bonnie goes into it. Bonnie has no mm. idea that this is going to happen for her, you know, no clue at all how it's going to affect how how, how this is going to affect everything in her life, right? Right for most of the films she tries to she tries to tell everyone around her, including herself, and it has not had an effect on her. She just wants to go back to the way things were before um so I didn't want to do i i I did some research, but I kind of wanted to go into every scene, every day, kind of like new to what was happening to Bonnie um, but i did I mean. I don't know like I don't know if I was fully prepared to play it meaning that like I don't know if I did I hope that I did some kind of like justice to the role like I, I hope that Ari uh, was as honest as possible during some of those scenes um, but I, I like I I'm ultimately just play acting at something that is a very real thing that real people have to deal with right and struggle through so Right. Just, I don't know. Sometimes I feel almost like like I did. I'm like, I watched the film for the first time and was like, oh, like I I don't know if I did anything right. I hope I did.
2: I I th- I think you did, and it was actually my my next question was: Did you and director Jessica Thompson, who wrote and directed the uh, the film, did you and her ever have any discussions and how true to life you wanted that scene to come off as? And did you ever have any objections?
1: Do you mean the actual rape scene itself? Yes. Um, well, I had, I had a like, reservation when I read the script initially. Like, I, I thought about, well, how is this going to be shot? Because I think many of us have seen films and television shows where the rape is unfortunately kind of like highly sexualized or sort of kind of looked at through a sexual lens. And it's not necessarily a sexual act, right? Like, it's a really violent act of
2: power. Right. Like, uh, there's a movie called The Last House on the Left. It's mm-hmm. from the 70s and then the remake. Both. It is so graphic. Uh, I remember being in a screening room where women literally got up and left because they were so uncomfortable. And so I think that yeah. the responsibility of a director... uh when they are filming these types of scenes, it's so delicate and sensitive um, that there has to be some sort of uh, quid pro quo with the director and actor in how, quote-unquote, authentic or true to life these scenes can be. Or Because at some point, everyone absorbs what they see differently. And so I kind of wanted to know what you and Jessica talked about was it meant to be uncomfortable? Was it meant to, 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 to depict the reality of it? or
1: I think the, the biggest thing for Jessica, and I'm going to speak for her now, but I think to a degree, I think the biggest thing for Jessica was to keep this story focused on how everything in it affects the person at the core of it, who is Bonnie. And for Bonnie, that rape is not a sexual act. It's a horrible act of violence. And so that's what you see on film. That's what you see in the movie is that that act for her, it's focused on how that act makes her feel. And it's horrifying and terrible for her. You know, it's like she's in a really awful position. She's like, she, she has no power. She has no power. And Everything it
2: also affects, affects everyone you know, around
3: her.
1: Yeah. Ultimately, it affects everybody in the film that as you move through the story it affects everybody everyone that has any contact with bonnie is affected by it and bonnie's in every scene of the movie but i think like the main thing for both jessica and i was that the rape scene not be uh depicted on screen as like a sexualized or sexual Mm -hmm. act like it didn't we didn't want it to be like titillating or anything in any way because like that's how it's often that's how it's often filmed which is like horrible, right and if most of us are sort of gathering our uh, cultural consciousness I guess is a way to say it if most of us are um, gathering information about our cultural consciousness and through the medium of television film how awful is it that that's a rarity to see a, a rape happen on film that's like that feels real and terrifying you know like that's that's unfortunate and that's like really something that we need to look at collectively, as as human.
2: Right, so you think it's wrong for that level of graphicness to be uh, displayed or depicted on film?
1: I mean, I, 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 I can't say that I think it's wrong or right about that particular film that you're talking about because I've never seen it. So I, d- I don't know what opinion I would form if I'd seen it. But I'll say that the media that I've consumed in my lifetime, and I'm, you know, not, I'm 36, so, like, I've seen a lot right? The media that I've seen in my lifetime doesn't focus on the core human that the rape affects, which is the victim slash survivor of the rape. It doesn't usually focus on that person. And that is such a failing on our part as, you know, artists, uh, people who consume, consume media as well. Like, that's awful. because I totally agree with you. Is like, Right, like the person at the core of this thing, their story doesn't matter. It just like it just becomes like word rape, right? And like we don't even really understand what it means or how it affects people.
2: Well, two things, and
1: that's how we've gotten to the place we've gotten to today, which is like we're living in a pretty screwed up time in which like rape culture is a real thing. Well, that brings me
2: that brings me uh, to to three things that are you know number one um, talk about today's media consumption, right? Spanish-language novellas? I remember there was a streak of novellas where it opened with a woman getting raped constantly on broadcast TV. Uh, the second thing that you bring up is that the culture of these men who actually do these graphic things is now starting to kind of be exposed with the Harvey Weinstein effect. And so it brings to, to light exactly the difference between what a female director like Jessica would do with your scene and the way maybe a man might handle it in others' That just brings me to those interesting sort of topics. And then I guess we have to talk about this Weinstein thing because what do you attribute this culture of sexual harassment to now that the movie, now that your movie Light of the Moon is coming out? I mean, it's a very timely movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, what's weird is that it's, it's just. I've heard that a couple of times now that people have said, like, it's, oh, it's really timely that this, that this uh, movie is coming out at this moment. And it's true that, like, You know, there have been some pretty (laughs) horrifying things come out um, recently, but they've just come out recently. It's not like all of those things happened in that moment that we read them in an article, you know? That's true. They happen like months, months,
2: years, 10, 30 years. Yeah,
1: years, and it's a systemic problem that has created monsters out of people, you know? It's a system that celebrates and allows uh, the oppression of women and the, uh, and sexual predators to exist. And like, so the problem is it's not like, Oh, the, the tree bore this like rotten fruit. Isn't that crazy? that the fruit is so rotten. It's like, well, the root of the problem is way, 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 way down deep. Like it's really deep. And, and yeah, in a way this film is really timely, but in another way, it's like, it's late. It's really late to the party. You know, it's, it's, it, this has been making this film like 30, 40 years ago.
2: What do you want women or moviegoers in general to take away from this film?
1: I mean, I'd like them to take away a sort of feeling of a feeling of hope that that even though we are in this place in the world right now, where we're seeing so many people come forward with these kinds of stories, I'd like people to take away the feeling that they are powerful and that they can help create a cultural shift. Because every person I think has the power to to sort of make this world a better or a worse place. And I and I'm hopeful that when people watch this movie, that they walk away with a sort of jumping off point
3: mm-hmm. to be able
1: to talk about this in a different way. To have conversations with people that they know and love about this issue. And to realize that the, their own responsibility in creating change and a shift moving forward, because that is ultimately what will make us better as a, a global community, is if we can move into a world where rape is not the norm, rape culture is not the norm, objectifying and uh, um, exploiting people is not the norm, and that looking out for each other and helping
2: each other in. Stephanie Beatrice, Light of the Moon opens in Select Theaters on November 1st. Thank you so much for being on a podcast.
1: Absolutely, it was my pleasure.
2: It's time for Jack D Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Michael Bay will be producing a live-action movie of Dora the Explorer. Tom Hanks will star in a new robot-themed sci-fi film called Bios. Justin Lin is in talk to direct Fast and Furious 9. DC and Warner Brothers have cast Sofia Vergara's husband Joe Manganiello in new villain Deathstroke movie. Daniel J. Lewis' final film will be Phantom Thread. Trailer's out right now. Uber's sexual harassment movie is in the works. Renee Zellweger will play Judy Garland in a new movie. BuzzFeed is planning on making feature films for theatrical release. And horror movies have had a historic year at the box office and it's because of these four films that you have to watch this Halloween weekend. Get out. It. Happy Death Day. And Jigsaw. In TV news, Emilio Escarraga steps down as CEO of Televisa and might be headed to Univision. Showtime has greenlit Lin Manuel Miranda's new fantasy drama show, King Killer Chronicle, and will also produce and compose music for it. Jennifer Lopez is producing a dance troupe comedy at NBC. Sarah Ramirez has landed a spot on the cast of CBS's drama, Madam Secretary, debuting November 19th. Insecure star Issa Rae is working on an untitled 90s set family drama for HBO. The Disney Channel will introduce its first gay storyline. Netflix's Stranger Things is streaming right now, and Robert Guillaume has passed away at age 89. Switching over to music, Telemundo's Latin American Music Awards happened this week with CNCO and Prince Royce winning four awards and Enrique Iglesias winning Artist of the Year. Luis Miguel is releasing a new album Thanksgiving Day and his new single La Fiesta Mariachi is out now. Justin Timberlake will be performing at the 2018 Super Bowl Halftime Show. Selena Gomez confirmed to perform Wolves at the American Music Awards. And producer Spiff TV premiered the new Bachata and R&B music video from Chris Brown and Prince Royce. It's called Just As I Am. Listen. Oh, escucha lo que voy a decir. Nada me importa, solo tenerte junto a mí. And when you Digital and social media news: Instagram has a new Super Zoom feature, which records dramatic close-up videos. Snapchat has launched a Stranger Things lens with Netflix. Rotten Tomatoes announces weekly film and television debate show on Facebook's new Watch tab. According to a new study, a third of America wouldn't care if Twitter disappeared. And the Apple iPhone 10 is now available for pre-order. Oh, <laughs> About a week ago, Latin telenovela star Eduardo Yanez slapped red carpet reporter Paco Fuentes in the face to the shock of all who was there because over a particular line of personal questions. Was it warranted? Could it have been handled differently? Well, to help us shine some light on this, I have Arthur Cade. He's a senior correspondent of Celebrity Page and a good friend. Arthur, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast.
4: Hey, Jack. How are you?
2: Good, man. So, Arthur, um, did you by any chance get a chance to... uh, to 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 hear this crazy story of what happened with the Latino telenovela actor who slapped this red I, carpet reporter?
4: I didn't until you brought it up that I was going to be on the podcast and then I looked it up and I was like, wow, this is pretty insane. It
2: is pretty insane. What was your reaction when you saw that? Did you like just squirm at
4: the thought of that? It's pretty incredible. I mean, red carpets are very controlled and there's a certain etiquette. Mm-hmm. I can't even. I can't even imagine driving talent to a point where something like that could happen. So it, it's pretty incredible.
2: You know, it, the, the other day I, I went to the New York Film Festival, and I think it was either the uh, centerpiece or the closing film. And you were at the red carpet. And I swear to God, this happened to me. This this was my exact thought when I saw you from afar. I said, "Holy sweat." Arthur Kate is here. If he's here, then it's like a real thing that you need to be at. And it's you've become sort of like the preeminent red carpet interviewer for the celebrities. Have you felt that for yourself? Do you feel it from the actors and the publicists when you get there? It's like it's game on.
4: Well, first of all, I'm gonna make sure your check is in the mail after that will sound bite. <laughs> right. So that's number one. Um you know, at the end of the day, there's a number of personalities because New York is such a small media market. It's not Los Angeles. And when I say small, I mean relatively compared to Los Angeles. But in the entertainment industry, there's only a handful of us that you will consistently see on red carpet. For instance, it'll be me or AJ Cowoway from Extra and there's a, there's a handful of other people. So because there's such a small group of us, we all know each other and we know all of the event publicists. So usually you'll see the same faces on a red carpet. That also holds true for talent publicists. So you become friendly with a lot of the talent publicists. And if they trust you and they know that you're going to do a good job with their talent, ask smart questions, promote, the project correctly, mm-hmm. and more. Most, most importantly, make the talent feel comfortable, then they're going to make sure that you speak with their talent. So I've been very lucky over the last five years just to work my butt off, build those relationships, develop trust, and then at the same time, the talent begins to know you. And that's the point that I'm at where I've been doing this so long that everybody will know your face, know your reputation, and make sure that you get the interview.
2: I want to talk about limitations. When you're on that carpet, what what are the lines that you cannot cross that is either unspoken or it's code or it's just common sense? What are the things that you're not supposed to do to cross those lines and, and maybe fracture that trust with the actors and the publicist?
4: I'm not sure that they're exact lines. I, I think that when you have enough experience, when you've been doing this long enough, You can organically read where the interview is going. Usually when you're doing, especially on the red carpet, usually when you're doing an interview, the first line of questioning has to center around the project because that's what the talent is there to promote. So that's what you lead with. that's almost always what I lead with. Although, because of my style and because I'm very conversational and try to make it as personal and intimate an interview as I can, mm-hmm. I'll usually start in with some type of joke or something. And when I say joke, it'll be something that falls in line with the movie to get the talent comfortable. Right. But usually, I'll the, the line of questioning will start with the project. Then, depending on where else I want to go with specific talent, it might move towards other projects they're working on. It might move towards topical situations. For instance, a, a lot of us on the red carpets have touched on Harvey Weinstein. Before that, it was Donald Trump. Uh, sometimes it's talking about female empowerment and seeing incredible female directors and female producers creating their voice in Hollywood this year. So much of the time... I try to personally touch on topics that I think are relevant and that are important to me and that I think really tap into where we are in terms of the cultural zeitgeist. And then there are other times where you go into personal matters. So for instance, even though it wasn't on the red carpet, I had an actress in studio today who had just gotten engaged. Mm -hmm. So I actually started the interview and I said, hey, congratulations on the engagement. How did he propose? and it, it, it because People magazine had just reported about the engagement. She was, you know, just so happy to talk about it. it. Was a wonderful story, but a lot of you have to have a certain ability to understand when talent is going to feel comfortable talking about those types of things. When it's time to maybe shut off that faucet because they're not comfortable or. It may just not be appropriate at all to even touch on certain topics. It, it really is an experience thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it, you know, I can tell you, five years ago, I didn't have that experience, so I, I'm sure there are a million mistakes. I, luckily, I've never been slapped, so that's a good thing. But um, <laughs> but there, there's a lot of times that certain, there's a lot of actors or a lot of a lot of talent that just are very private. They don't want their personal life touched. So why do they even go to
2: these red carpets? Because at, at some point, they know they're being exposed to the question coming to them.
4: Well, that's an interesting question, Jack, because at the end of the day, the reason they're on that red carpet is to promote their project. But if they're part of the news
2: though, but if they're part of the news, would it be your job to have to ask them that question? So, I mean, to me, don't show up. But if you're going to show up and the headlines are all about you at that moment. See, and that's the part that I go with you. You know, at, at some point, do you become the tough journalist? Do you feel it's your obligation to tackle that issue? And maybe you're maybe the best person to do it because you're such a familiar face on the carpet.
4: That that, What you just described is going to always be the never-ending dilemma for any type of journalist or reporter, because there's always that outlying question, which is, if you're a celebrity, is your private life always in balance? Or are there times where it's out of bounds? And that's a question that I'm not sure anybody has the true, direct answer to. I usually, the the way our TV show works, that's not always necessarily a direction that we are going to take. In fact, mm-hmm. it's not even required of me. Usually it's really project-oriented or or if there are topics I want to cover. But I know there are other shows where that is the soundbite that they need. They need that soundbite, you know, how are your kids doing? How is your marriage doing? Did you hear about X, Y, or Z getting divorced? And that's really what they're targeting. And I've seen a lot of times where... Either a publicist or talented. That's not something I want to discuss, and that is probably their right to be able to do that. But that's the never-ending question, Jack. You know, is if a celebrity is on a red carpet or if they're doing press for a project, is anything really off limits? And I don't know that anybody's really ever identified an answer to that.
2: I wanted to ask you about that Jim Carrey red carpet interview that he did uh, with uh, I can't remember the name of the of the female entertainment that's, reporter. Uh,
4: Chad Sadler for me.
2: Yes, her. Yeah, no, I uh, I, I don't believe in icons. Uh, I don't believe in personalities. I believe that peace lies beyond personality, beyond invention and in disguise, beyond the red S that you wear on your chest that makes bullets bounce off. I believe that it's deeper than that. I believe we're a field of energy dancing for itself. Jim, you got really I dressed up. up for the occasion. You look good. No, Was I didn't that an get accident? dressed up.
4: I didn't get dressed Who up. Who did? There, there is no me.
2: What did you think of that interview, and how do you think she conducted it?
4: Um, It's an interesting question, because in in terms of what I thought of it as an interview, the one thing you're always going to realize is that everybody has a different personality when you're interviewing that. So again, from an experience standpoint, you have to understand where you want to roll with the interview and how you want to handle it. I personally think she did a a bang-up job, a really professional job, and trying to steer the questions where she wanted to steer them and controlling the doing a good job controlling the interview. But, of course, it's a difficult interview. And because she has such immense experience, she was able to control it. But that's a situation where it could have possibly, if it was a less experienced journalist, it could have just looked really bad. But I thought it came off as good as it's going to come off.
2: I'll tell you my opinion. What I did not like was that her face basically was saying a whole other set of questions that she wasn't necessarily asking. And it was the faces that I felt were, I don't know, either fueling or making fun of, of this guy is nuts. This guy is crazy. And I didn't necessarily like that, you know? Um, Because obviously this guy is going in a particular way that she wasn't expecting, and the question is: Do you treat it serious? Do, do you do you treat this whole thing? It's like okay, I we can make this into a performance, or was her job to kind of reel him in and try to make it, try to almost save him from being a fool?
4: See, there's there's a there's a changing landscape right now in media where when you're a journalist or a red carpet reporter it's expected more and more that you have to really showcase your personality. It's not just enough to ask questions anymore. You have to showcase your personality as well. You have to create those quote-unquote viral moments with the star. So I think, coming back to what you... And I know exactly the moments you were talking about during that interview. At the end of the day, this is E! Entertainment. (laughs) And it is an entertainment show. So I think a lot of that is a departure a bit away from journalism and more about how do we create entertainment and creating maybe those viral moments. I don't know if I agree or disagree with that, but I've also I've personally never been in that type of situation. I'm not sure how I would react. But that from from a hosting standpoint, I can tell you that is where media is moving right now, which is the media wants to see the host showing more and more personality.
2: Wow, look at that. And
4: that's what what we're seeing now.
2: Uh, And before I let you go, Arthur, has anything outside of the ordinary ever happened to you in the five years that you've been doing this business?
4: You would probably need 10 podcasts to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Listen, each each and every interview is an animal all to itself. and You know, one of the things I wake up every day and say is I'm the luckiest guy in the world to be able to do this because conducting an interview is just like acting. You're reading and reacting. You're sensing. You, You have your agenda in your head. So for actors, it's a script. But for us, it's an agenda of what you want to cover. And you have to organically understand and feel where each interview is going. Sometimes they go in directions you never expected, and that's an incredible thing. Sometimes they go in directions that were off the rails and sometimes they go in directions that were exactly as expected. But the beauty of it is you never know where it's going to go. And it really is like a roller coaster ride and experience each time. And that's what we all sign up for when we do this. And that's the beauty of it. And that's why I come back to what I've said before, which is when you have the experience where you've done tens of thousands of these, like I have, or more, God knows what the number is that at this point. You're able to understand how to control the interview, how to get what you need out of the talent, but also how to create potentially those viral moments or get those, those unique informational sound bites that you want to get. And that's I think that's what this game is all about these
2: days. I'm telling you, man. Uh, you're you're to me the best on the red carpet. Uh, there's presence about you. there's a familiarity. there's a there's almost a, like a safety zone, you know, when uh, I think actors see your face on that red carpet. It's like, okay. Arthur's here, so this is gonna go well. Um,
4: so see, luckily luckily I already made up the checks, or else I have to double it up.
2: <laughs> I think you're doing a great job, my man. Uh, if you want to catch Arthur Cade and all his celebrity interviews and to see how it's done. Uh, you can catch him on Celebrity Page he's one of the he's the senior correspondent there and uh, to me one of the best red carpet reporters that there is uh, in the industry right
4: now I appreciate it Jack and by the way a compliment in your direction you're doing a phenomenal job with your podcast really touching on some incredible topics man so keep doing the good work
2: if you're looking for some new songs to listen to check out these three tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend Y yo hablando
3: desde aquí, sintiendo tu
1: cuerpo vibrar, tus pies secando, se ven y soñando desde la cama.
2: Loca McGarthy. Desde
1: aquí, sintiendo tu cuerpo vibrar, tus pies secando, se ven y soñando desde la cama. Por hacerme el bueno, no a la cita y la champaña ya
3: estaba fría, te dejé
2: vestida. Por hacerme el bueno, vacío. Funky Fiesta, Rawayana, featuring José Luis Pardo. If you're headed out to the movies this weekend to go see Matt Damon's new dark comedy Suburbicon directed by George Clooney, hold your horses. I had a chance to review the movie with my friends Neil Rosen and Bill McCuddy on their podcast called Sitting Around Talking Movies. Listen in.
1: We're going to be talking today about Suburbicon, the new
4: movie that was directed by George Clooney and stars Matt Damon and Julianne Moore in two roles in the film, and Oscar Isaac.
3: Son, there's something I have to tell you. Those men
0: killed mom. We've decided it'd be best if your Auntie Margaret came and stayed with us.
1: Nikki needs a mother.
3: We'll be strong. We'll be fine. Mr. Lodge?
0: Yes. You know a character named Rizzoli? He's a loan shark if you were into the mob for money. That might explain what happened to your wife.
2: Here's what I liked about it. First of all, I like these period movies, these sort of noir films that Clooney does. We saw it in uh, Good Luck, Good Night, The Monuments Men, even though that wasn't necessarily a great film. Confessions Dangerous Mind. Confessions recaptured of a dangerous the Gone mind. Show from the 70s. Absolutely. So he likes to time travel back in time and, and, and capture certain moments in history and sort of relive them for everybody else. I like that aesthetic about him. Um, Grant Heslov is involved. Clooney, I I believe, uh, directed it. The Coen brothers did it. What I like about this is it, it, it combines this sort of dark noir film homage that they do so well with this sort of screwball comedy that it's very dark and, 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 and black. Um, and the performances I thought were great. Oscar Isaac is the one that sort of really sticks in my mind. It's a very violent yeah. film for those of you that you want to see it. But it's violent in the way, you know, sort of... Uh, you know, a lot of these absurdist premise movies are violent that you don't necessarily take them seriously. Almost cartoony. Almost cartoony, exactly. Um, but one of the—I think the big thing that maybe, Bill, you might not sort of agree with is the racial sort of layers in the plot of this film. We're seeing in a, a white American sub- suburbia in America, and all of a sudden, it cuts— to this African-American family in the 50s and how much this white community hates black people, essentially. And so they go back and forth on it, and obviously it's used as a metaphoric tool. It's not meant to be linear in any single way. So I think ultimately what the movie shows is look how America, yesterday and today, we have such hateful people. And nothing has changed whatsoever since the 50s. And I think that was the point that... Uh, Clooney was trying to make with the Cohen brothers, but
0: a screwball comedy is not the place to do that. And by the way, you got you called it a dramedy, you called it a comedy. I no, was I in a room. It, I didn't call it anything. I was in a group. I was <laughs> I in a, a room drama. with what would you say I laughed, there, Forty-five but at the same or fifty time, people. I, I can count three laughs in the whole movie. Okay, I think by anybody. I, and let me just say one other thing about the it's darkly racial, satirical, the, it's racial, the, tone, the, the racial tone, the racial story that comical. shoehorned into this movie is completely tonality off from the rest of the film and almost reprehensible to watch there's Why reprehensible absolutely though? because it, it's just vile it's just absolute Pure vile, and it's Clooney trying to say, "Look what's happening to America! It's only going to get worse under Donald Trump." I don't disagree with any of that, yes. but I don't think this is the place for it. Okay. So you just, don't like the execution, but you do like the concept. I was, I felt bad for African Americans watching the movie with us. I almost left in the middle of it, except I was sitting between both of you people, and <laughs> uh, I, I just really, really don't like this movie
2: and that's it for episode 54 of the highly relevant podcast i'd like to thank Stephanie beatrice arthur cade for being on the show and thank you guys for taking the time out to listen from your favorite streaming platform wherever you may be if you like this u.s latino podcast please share it on your social media apps tell your friends all about it if you can have them subscribe and review the show only with your help We'll get to the top of those podcast charts. Hope you enjoy your weekend and stay connected with us via showbizcafe.com. See you next week on another episode of...